0: Oh, my friends, we made it. It is the last Sunday before Christmas. We're going to be talking about love this morning, and we're going to be talking about it, of course, through this passage in Luke, so it'll be up on the screen. Let me pray for us, and we'll study the Word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. A little-known fact... For me was that my grandma italiano was anything but Italian. She was raised in rural South Carolina, part Native American, part Western European, not a single drop of Italian in her. She was six years I was six years old when she died, so I didn't learn about this fact until I was a little bit older. And when I discovered that she didn't even have so much of an ounce of Italian in her, I was pretty shocked, and I based that off of the way that she cooked. When I look back on it now, though, I can see that that really it should have been obvious to me because my great-grandmother, Italiano, in contrast, was the model and every stereotype that you would have of Italian women. She was warm. She was loud. She was constantly making us eat and hugging us to the point of taking our breath away. My great-grandma is the one who had the hands flying and the cheeks pinching, and she was the shortest, most influential person in the room always. But not my grandmother. My grandmother was somewhat aloof by comparison. Some might even say that she was cold. She was very firm and, and very methodical about everything. When she went back to nursing school in the late 1950s, she was determined to make a path for the women in our family none of whom had had gone to college. She loved me tremendously, but she showed it in a very, very different way than what most Italians are used to. The way that grandma showed her love was through her cooking. And that's why I didn't know that she was an Italian, because she was an amazing, amazing cook. When my grandma married my grandpa, in what was a very scandalous situation, scandalous only because she was an Italian, my grandma wanted to prove to my great-grandmother that she was worthy of being in an Italian family. So she spent years and years, long before I was born, learning how to cook so that my great-grandmother and my great-aunts would be proud to call, them, call her one of, them, uh, one of their own. She got so good at it, though, that she far surpassed her teacher's. Christmas at Grandma's house was a week-long affair that involved several days of cooking prior to Christmas where you were only allowed to stand at the threshold to the kitchen and peer in but not actually touch anything. There was a short break for worship services on Christmas Eve, and then there was several days of eating, a few presents thrown in there, and then more eating, and then more eating, then more eating. This woman made her own pie crust, her own stuffing, even her own cannoli shells. When you sat down to Grandma Italiano's table, you sat down to a table of love. Today, when we are studying the unfolding of God's unending love for us, we read this story that is really the response that we would have to love. When you read the Old Testament, your first reaction it is not that this is a God of love. That's not the first thing people see in the Old Testament. What they see is a very firm, very methodical sort of God. And then you get into the New Testament, and here we are in the New Testament, and I'm not sure that in the very beginning of the New Testament, the first adjective that comes to mind, again, is love. God starts speaking to the people after 400 years, and one of the first people that he decides to speak to is a poor young man teenage girl and her fiance with big news that they're going to be parents. This is the story that God's going to go with? I mean, let's think about this. 400 years, nothing, and the first people that you're going to talk to are, are, are going to be two young, poor kids? This is the best that God has for us? Now, my asking of these questions reveals something very different than the heart that Mary had when she received the news that she would be the one to bring Jesus into the world. When Mary takes a moment to reflect on her situation, she details all the ways that God has revealed his love to her. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, and he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. God shows his love for us, by looking on us with favor, even when we are at our lowest points. God doesn't walk away from us when we're hurting, contrary to popular belief. He doesn't walk away from us when we're struggling. He doesn't walk away from us when we're suffering. He's not some fair-weather friend that only wants to be around us when we're at our very best. In fact, in fact, God seeks us out, pursues us when we are at our lowest, And looks to redeem us from the lost places. Mary is amazed that of all of the options available to God, he still chose her for his work in the world. Sometimes we think that that God can't possibly be calling us to anything because we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, and we're not really sure people like us all that much. Sometimes, sometimes we don't actually believe that, but it sure is a convenient excuse not to do something. But for those of you who who really do question that about yourselves, question whether you are good enough to do a call that God has given you in this life, that you're not worthy of God's time or God's consideration, then I want you to hear Mary's song today. Because God looks in favor on his lowly servant. And we see that that's just one of the many ways that God loves us. But there are more ways. Surely from now on, says Mary, all generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The most important thing that you need to get out of this message today is that a great expression of love is mercy. One of the greatest gifts that you could give this year is to show mercy particularly in situations where you're going to be the most powerful person in the room. And I promise you that over the next seven days, there are going to be instances where every one of you is going to be the most powerful person in the room. This is going to be true for those of you who have small children during a very busy, very hectic week when their schedules are in complete chaos. Have mercy. This is going to be true for those of you who are caring for elderly parents who are struggling with just day-to-day life things. This is going to be true for those of you who employ others, for those of you who serve others, for those of you who teach others. Any time that you have an opportunity to show mercy is an act of love. Mary reflects that God has shown mercy from generation to generation. If we truly believe that God is the creator of all, that we would not be then at this point in God's story if God had not shown mercy from generation to generation. One of the promises of the Old Testament, and Mary hits on it in this passage, is that the family line of God would always be preserved, that God's people would continue on no matter what. And if you start tracing all of those stories through the Old Testament, you see again and again and again that no matter what else was going on, God always found a way to preserve his line, to keep it going. God always found a way to show mercy, to bring his lineage forward, even to this very point with Mary. And one of the ways that God has shown his mercy manifests itself through his incredible strength. Mary explains it this way. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise that he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, friends, when you think about strength, I know that you're always the inclination is always to think about muscular, physical strength. But strength comes in many forms. It comes in the ability to speak up for those that don't have a voice. Each year, when you look at our mission partners throughout the year, one of the common threads that you see, and one of the things that motivates us to partner with certain mission ministries is that many of them are a voice for the voiceless. The My Choice Pregnancy Center speaks for children who are in the womb. And the Bethel Farmworker Mission speaks for the farmworkers. And Project Heart is a voice for homeless students right here in Manatee County, and there are many more than you could possibly imagine. At the sound of his voice, God brought something from nothing. He used his strength for our benefit. When we consider the resolve of Jesus on the cross, we see that the strength of God is used as an act of love for us. When Mary talks about God's strength, she's remembering all the times that God defeated the enemies of the people of Israel, and those that sat up on the sidelines and laughed at the troubles of the Jewish people. God brought them to places of humility on their knees. And at the same time, while he was using his strength to bring down the powerful, he also used his strength to bring up the lowly, to equip the least likely to do great and extraordinary things. So what can we do then as followers of God to use our strength to show love to the world, let me tell you about one of the very small and one of the quiet things that happens in the life of this congregation. It is so quiet that you probably don't know about it. But around this place is a growing compassion and love for children and adults who have special needs. And most churches try to accommodate such children and such adults. They come up with special ways to include them and Maybe sometimes even isolate them. But our church has kind of organically come to a place where those of us with power willingly and joyfully surrender it to lift up those who do not. And so as a result, because it is such an organic thing in the life of this church, most of us don't realize that it's happening. It's not a program. It's not a ministry. It's just a way of life that says every one of us is valuable and welcomed and wanted in this place. There's other more visible ways where that love is shown. Mary says that God filled the hungry with good things. Good things. This is a a line of scripture that you want to remember every time that you get ready to donate something somewhere. God filled the hungry with good things. There's big ways and small ways to do that. Right here in our congregation, we have a professional chef. And Bob loves this congregation. He loves the people here, so he loves to cook for us. If we're doing a big event, chances are Chef Bob is involved and he puts hours and hours and hours into that. But then there's some of us that don't cook, mostly probably me. But, um, but you know, there's still ways that we can feed the hungry. And we can do it in ways that actually show love. When there are food drives... And you know that all throughout the year, there's always food drives. There's always opportunities for you to donate. We can take the time during those food drives to provide items of quality. Food that we would actually want to eat ourselves. Notice that Mary says that he fills the hungry with good things. Not the can of stewed beets that got thrown in the back of your closet and expired in 2006 that you think some unfortunate person should have to eat. But then the other thing that you can do, and I I want you to think about this the next time you have a food drive. Have you ever prayed over a can of food? Have you ever prayed the way that you give thanks for the food that you eat? Have you ever prayed that, that God would use this food to fill someone, not only physically, but also spiritually? Because I guarantee if you take the time to pray about it, if you take the time to visualize a person with a face and a life and maybe even a family, if you take that time, then the food that you donate is going to be very, very different when you realize that there's a real life on the other end of it. Love comes about when we put, our, when we put out ourselves before, before we consider what we might gain from it. Any thought about our own personal gain, that actually negates the purity of love. What could God possibly stand to gain from Mary? She had nothing, nothing to give him in return. She's not the one that could return God to a place of prominence. She didn't have a voice to bring everyone's attention to God. She was nothing. And God turned around and gave her everything. And Mary responds to that love with a love of her own. This passage follows right on the heels of Mary finding out from Elizabeth and and hearing Elizabeth say, Mary, you're so blessed. You're so blessed. And Mary would have been well within her rights to say, well... You know, it's about time everyone started noticing how important I am, how special I am, what a blessing I am. It's about time that God got his act together and redeemed me. But that's not how Mary responds. Mary responds with humility. My grandmother learned to cook Italian because my great-grandmother was so mortified that her son married someone who was an Italian. And so out of love for my grandfather and and maybe my great-grandmother, My grandmother humbled herself by learning and caring about what was so incredibly important to that part of my family. Out of humility from Mary flowed a gratitude that that often comes in in response to love. When you encounter someone who has little experience of real love in their life, and you genuinely love them, you will notice that their response is always, always, always going to be one of gratitude. Gratitude. This is the experience of an orphan who finds a forever family. It is the experience of the homeless man who finds a CEO of a major company sitting down next to him and sharing a meal and, more importantly, meaningful conversation. It is the experience of the recovering drug addict who's been turned away from job after job only to be finally given a chance. So have you thought, have you thought about being on the giving or receiving end of love this season? Have you considered what you could personally do in the next seven days to show love to your family, to this community, to the world? Have you thought about how you're going to respond when love is freely given to you? How have you responded previously to the love that you've experienced in God through knowing Jesus Christ? Do you even know yet Do you even know yet that you are loved by the creator of the world? Christmas is a wonderful time to consider love. It's a wonderful time to consider how you might give it, how you might receive it, and before all of that, how you might come to know it. The good news for all of us is that Christmas celebrates that day when love came down to us. Jesus, God's gift of love to us, for us, with us. Let's pray together. Holy God, help us to receive your love. Help us to be so filled with it, so overcome by it, that it flows out of who we are. That in humble response to the love that we have been given by you, that we would go out and generously share it with the world. We ask that you gift us with mercy this week, that you give us strength and humility And that when we find ourselves as the most powerful people in the room, that we would act out of a place of genuine and deep love. In your name we pray. Amen.